everyone, Josh here. This is the NOYC Godcast, a production of the Northern Ohio Youth Camp. Through various means, including a week of summer camp, youth conferences, sporting events, Christian content, and now a new podcast, the NOYC strives to give Christians a reason to continue on in Christ. We hope you enjoy a very special edition of the NOYC Godcast as we air a segment from our video devotion series, Life's Highway, which premiered back at the NOYC in 2017. For more information regarding the ministry, as well as additional Christian content, please visit our website at www.thenoyc.com. If you were ready to buy a brand new car, chances are there would be a few details you would want to find out first. For example, is the car manual or automatic? Does it take diesel or gasoline? I mean, does it even run? That would probably be a really good one to start with. But there is one other pretty important question that you should probably consider before signing your name on the dotted line. No, it's not the color of the paint job. I'm talking about the price tag. These pesky little stickers can give you the happiest or the most disappointed feeling when you read them. You can get your hopes built up only to have the small little price tag bring your dreams of that shiny new red car crumbling down around you. But really, they're sort of really important. I mean, take the car for example. How awful would it be to pick out your shiny red car, sit in the driver's seat with your shades on, take it for a test drive, and to tell the salesman that you would take it. Then, you sign your name on the dotted line and drive it home. What a great day! Only the next month, the bill for your shiny red friend shows up. And as you open the envelope and look inside, that feeling of nausea and heart attack comes. Well, you better sit down. As excited and thrilled as you were about your new Red Rider, you may have, in the excitement, failed to check one very important detail, the price tag. And a month later, after you've already put your new bumper sticker on it, and your dice in the mirror, and hung your favorite air freshener, and it's just got it worn in and comfortable, only to have to give it up. After seeing the price you've had to pay for this butte, there's no way that you can keep her. And so, with the keys in your hand, and tears in your eyes, you take her back to the dealer. Price tags. They can make or break you. You know, right off the bat, I'm just going to be honest with all of you. There is a lot of us in this room, right now, who, like the car, have gotten swept up in the excitement, the thrill, and even the emotion of being a Christian. Maybe you have even went to an altar, and even cried a couple tears. Someone may have even asked you, do you want to be saved? And in that moment, you were sure that you wanted to follow Jesus. What I'm guessing you probably weren't asked at the altar was, can you afford the payments? Are you willing to pay the price to be a Christian? Let that sink in just for one minute. Some of you are probably still thinking about that red car. You did know that there was a price tag on following Jesus, right? Actually, Jesus himself is the one who spells out the cost. Luke 14, 26-33 tells us, If any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brethren and his sisters, yea, and even his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doeth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it, 
lest haply after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth down not first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassador, and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus over and over again directed his followers' attention to the cost of following him. He was upfront about it, not leading us on only later to find out the price tag of following him. Even here in Luke 14, Jesus was teaching to one of his larger crowds. When he breaks in the news to them, and no doubt many turned away, they decided that they just wouldn't pay that price. Jesus said, so you want to follow me? Fine. Here's the price. He doesn't hide it. He doesn't conceal the cost in the fine print. He publicly and boldly gives the price tag to anyone who's even remotely interested in following him. Maybe this is sort of a news break to some of us. We may be taken back a bit by the price tag to be a Christian because we've never been told this before. Maybe even some of us just don't believe it or even think it's unreasonable to ask us to pay a price to follow Jesus. You might be thinking, well, I've been saved for quite a while now and I really haven't made any payments. I don't hate my parents. I haven't been nailed to a tree. And me and Jesus, we're doing just fine. You might be taken back or even offended that you would have to be asked to consider the cost. After all, you thought this whole Christian thing was free. Even though the idea of sacrifice, surrender, and taking up our cross has in some ways been reintroduced into the church scene in its recent years, the truth is this concept of price tag is as old as, well, as old as creation. To better understand the meaning behind it and where exactly the cost of serving God really originated, we have to go back to the beginning. And I mean the very beginning. So here we go back to Genesis. God has spoken everything into existence. Adam and Eve eat the fruit and they get evicted. Now they're living outside of Eden and now they've started a little family. In Genesis 4, 2 through 5, we find Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was the keeper of the sheep. But Cain was the tiller of the ground. And in the process of a time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord hath respect unto Abel and his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. Here we find the first family ever to live. And we also see the first offering or cost in the scripture. It's interesting that there's no pretext for this offering. In chapter 3, Adam and Eve are booted from the garden. And then in verse 1 of chapter 4, Cain and Abel are born. And then in verse 2, we have a sacrifice being offered to God. No one told them to. God didn't suggest it or command that they do it. Cain and Abel looked at all that was around them and all that they had in their life, the majesty of the beautiful world that they lived in, and upon reflecting and recognizing all of this within themselves, 
they recognized that they were indebted to someone greater. They understood that because God has been good to them and gave them all that they had, they had a need to show thanks and worship to God. And so out of appreciation, they gave back to God. And this is the first picture we have of the cost of serving God. The first ever ancient ye old price tag. There are some people in the church world who want to look at the price tag associated with following Jesus as a due or a fee that must be paid. If you send $1,000 to this address, then you'll guarantee that you'll make it to heaven. Can we just stop right here and agree how ridiculous that sounds? If you've ever cracked open a Bible, even accidentally, then you know there's nothing about that that pleases God. The cost of serving God is not a due that must be paid in order to maintain a Jesus membership. Instead, like Cain and Abel, and every Christian who has ever lived since them, often the cost of following is out of recognition and worship of how great God is. The cost is a desire to give back to God, who has given you everything. The worship and the sacrifice were always meant to go hand in hand. Now, there has always been a lot of theories as to what went wrong with Cain's sacrifice in comparison to Abel's. Some people theorized that it was because Cain's sacrifice was of the ground, and Abel's was a blood sacrifice. However, the book of Hebrew tells us that Abel's offering was costly, unlike Cain's. The reason God accepted and respected what Abel offered to him was because it took faith. It was painful, and it was costly. An offering made to God should never be painless or cheap. It should always cost us something. Think about it. The value of anything you buy in life is directly connected to the price tag. For example, a piece of bubble gum is valued pretty low and it may cost you maybe a quarter, but a new car would be valued pretty high at the price of $35,000 and that would reflect that value. And so, when it came time to pay up and show worship and thanksgiving to God, we can see the difference in how Cain and Abel valued God by the corresponding price that they paid. The Bible says, by faith, Abel gave the offering. But how do you sacrifice an animal by faith? Because everyone's first job at McDonald's wouldn't be around for probably a few thousand years, Cain and Abel settled for being farmers. They lived and survived by the work of their own hands. And when Abel gave the offering of the animal, it was out of faith because it cost him his literal food, income, and most of all, it cost him his best. Out of faith, Abel gave his animal as an offering to God. And in doing so, he was saying that he trusted God to provide for him. And whatever void was left by what he had gave to God. Abel's personal price tag was his best. It cost him his job his security, his food, his livelihood. But as Abel looked at how worthy God was, he determined he was willing to pay the price. And so he gave his best lamb. If we want to follow Jesus, it will not only cost us something, it should cost us so greatly that like Abel, it will take faith to pay the cost. Then we move along only a couple of generations later until we come to a man named Abraham. Abraham is known as the father of faith, and his willingness to pay the price of serving God had everything to do with his title. If you know anything about the life of Abram at all, you know that during his life, he had one thing that meant more to him than anything, his son. 
Isaac was the miracle child. He was a born against all odds as the promise of God to Abraham. We can easily see the favor Abraham had for Isaac. Above all of his other children and possessions and family, Isaac was his prized possession, his reason for living, and his life. Knowing all of this, in Genesis 22, God comes to Abraham, and he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. This verse right here is the reason most of us have uh, trust issues. A lot of us would be willing to pray to God, Thy will, or whatever you want, God. But after this little stunt with Abraham, we know that when and if we were to pray that prayer, without a doubt, God would take our blank. I think a lot of us think of God as a cruel, all-knowing being in heaven who is really up there just waiting to catch us, and then he can really stick it to us. So if we never say the prayer or acknowledge that something may be replacing him, then he just won't ask for it. However, what Abraham realized is that just like Abel, what God has given to Abraham, no matter how much he loved and cherished it, it was still God's. Without God giving Isaac to Abraham, Abraham would have never had Isaac. And so when God asked for Isaac back from Abraham, he knew that God was good and worthy of anything he asked, even his only son, Isaac. Genesis 22 tells us, And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went into the place of which God had told him. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand, and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. The cost of serving God is what we love the most. We can look at Abraham and think, well, of course he's willing to pay the price. He's Abraham. But we are each placed in the shoes of Abraham, choosing between what we love the most and the God who loves us the most. No doubt God didn't really want Isaac. Killing this miracle child that God had provided wasn't one of God's demented desires to collect. What God wanted was Abraham, and Abraham to be fully and completely and ultimately desirous and in love with God. Above all else, with no close second. And this little test would prove Abraham's heart, not just to God, but to Abraham himself. Of course, we all know that God stopped Abraham just in enough time to tell that Abraham wasn't bluffing. God already knew that Abraham loved God more than Isaac. God knew Abraham would be willing to kill his son if God were to ask. But Abraham needed to understand that it was costly to serve God and that the cost would be potentially steep. But that God was infinitely worth the price. God wanted Abraham's willingness, not Isaac's death. The death of this miracle child in no way would have been righteous. It wouldn't have brought any glory to God or in any way furthered the cause. But what God did want was Abraham's willingness to obey God, no matter the cost. God wanted Abraham's willingness to give up whatever mattered the most to him, no matter its worth. Let's be honest. We are all fearful of what God will ask of us. When we think about sacrifice, 
immediately our minds go to the fact that he will ask the absolute worst from us. And we will be forced to obey. It might be a loved one like it was for Abraham. And it could be the answer to a call. And we are convinced that that means we'll have to live in mud huts in Africa. But the fact is, we have to realize that God doesn't want our stuff. His goal is not to make us miserable. Taking our loved one may be part of his plan, but their death is not necessarily what he is seeking. What God wants is our willingness. Our willingness to accept and obey and trust him. Period. Without reservation. Without explanation. Without liking what he is doing. Without understanding. Willing to do anything absolutely anything that he asks of us, even to the audacity of murdering our own son. That is faith. As was Abraham's case, God will often not ask us to complete the test that he sends our way. He will often make another way. But the purpose is our willingness. Willing worship recognizes that nothing at all is outside the realm of God's worth. There is nothing beyond reason when it comes to worshiping God and when it comes to paying the price to follow him. No matter the hurt, pain, or sacrifice it entails, the cost is worth it because He is God and He is good. When we come to the place where we can truly recognize just how unbelievably worthy of our worship and devotion He is, we can be willing, willing to do anything He asks. Do you know what Abraham, and Isaac for that matter, do next? They worshiped, because worship and sacrifice always go together. A lot of us, when we face a cost, a trial, a difficulty, a tragedy, our first reaction is to blame God, and even question God. But do you know what Abraham's first reaction was? To worship God. The reason he reacts this way is because Abraham was aware of the personal price tag serving God had attached to it. Before the Isaac test, Abraham had settled in his own heart that obeying and serving God would take faith and would be so costly. And so, after the Isaac test, Abraham's faith was increased and his love for God grew even more than it would have ever before. Have you ever met someone who's spontaneous? You know the type. They jump headfirst into the decision and go full speed ahead, guns ablazing, convinced this is going to be the best idea they've ever had. And they are so absolutely sure about this idea that you just know they'll see it through. Only you see them about eh, a month or two later and they totally abandon the idea. Some people live off the thrill of new adventures and new ideas. But unfortunately, ideas can never be more than just that. An idea, unless they are acted upon to completion. Jesus used a parable several times throughout the gospel the one parable that we started with. He preached, if you're going to build a tower, you don't just begin building the tower and hope that you have enough money to finish it as you go. Instead, you plan ahead. And before you begin, you make sure you have enough to pay the cost of the building. Then he says the same is true with entering a war. Before you begin firing the cannons at the enemy, you make sure you have a fighting chance to win with the troops you have on your side before you enter the battle. You don't figure it out along the way as you go. Instead, you first count the cost. Jesus gives an open disclaimer to every person ever willing or desiring to follow him. He openly tells them, first count the cost. Are you willing to pay the price? Don't just jump on the believer's bandwagon. Don't jump head first before you commit. 
And before you decide to be a Christian and to follow Jesus, count the cost. Will you pay the price? Why would Jesus lay such an emphasis on this count the cost thing? Well, first, let's look at the tower. If a man were to begin building a tower without first counting the cost, he would begin and have a partial structure that could not be completed once he figures out he does not have the amount needed to pay the cost of the building. And so the unfinished tower becomes useless and a waste. It's good for nothing and benefiting nothing. So we abandon the tower and it becomes a spectacle. A mockery of the unfinished, the useless, and what could have been. And Jesus said, that is what it's like for the world to be a believer. When we follow Jesus without first counting the cost, without first making sure we're willing to pay the price, our Christianity is incomplete. It has no benefit. Since you did not first count the cost, any bump in the road, any unexpected trial, tragedy, or sacrifice that you're faced with threatens the completion of your Christianity. When you jump into serving Jesus and count the cost as you go, you are risking one day finding the price that you are not willing to pay. And then in return, walking away and becoming that abandoned, useless tower of what could have been. Jesus did not want this for us. And so he warns us to make sure and count the cost first. So you will know what it takes and what it requires and whether you desire to pay the price of being his follower or not. Jesus never presented the price tag after salvation. He warns to check the price before you even consider following him. There are a lot of people who fail to heed Jesus' warning of checking the price tag first. And so they come to the altar and they pray a prayer and they begin their journey as a Christian. But because they failed to pay attention to the price, when God asks them to give this thing up or when they lose a loved one or face a terrible illness or maybe lose a job, then they face a trial. They're just appalled and in shock. Why would God do this? Why would he put me through this? This isn't what I signed up for. And so they slowly begin to walk away and abandon what could have been their tower. The price tag was a shock, and the cost caught them off guard because they didn't first count the cost before following him. It's no wonder statistics tell us that between 80 and 95% of converts who profess salvation will leave the faith and prove to be false converts who did not truly accept Jesus. That means only about 5 to 20% of the people who come to the altar and begin the journey to follow Jesus will see their journey to the end. Only 5 to 20% will finish building that tower. So what about you? Have you counted the cost? Are you willing to pay the personal price of being Jesus' follower? Only you can decide that for you. Jesus was completely open, transparent, and honest about what it would cost to be his follower. The personal price tag for every believer may look a little different, but really they are all the same. Give up your life to him who gave you life. Give your life to him completely, without reservation, without holding back. Because you believe he is good, and the price is worth it. Maybe you're already saved, and this price tag thing is completely new to you. It's not too late to consider the cost. You can still pay the price and complete your Christian faith by surrendering to Jesus. The price tag for every believer reads total surrender. It's up to you whether you will pay the price or not.
There was a bright-eyed, pretty five-year-old little girl who was gifted a set of plastic pearls. How the girl loved those pearls. She wore them to school, to play, in the bed. In fact, she wore them everywhere. Now, the girl had a very loving dad. And when she went to bed, he would get up from his favorite chair every night and read her favorite story to her. One night, when he finished the story, he said, Do you love me? Oh, yes, Daddy, you know I love you, the little girl said. Well, then give me your pearls. Oh, Daddy, not my pearls, the little girl said. But you can have Rosie, my favorite doll. Do you remember her? You gave her to me last year for my birthday. And you can have her tea party outfit also, okay? No, darling, that's okay. Her father brushed her cheek with a kiss. Good night, little one. A week later, her father once again asked the girl, after her story, Do you love me? Oh, yes, Daddy, you know I love you. Well, then give me your pearls. Oh, Daddy, not my pearls, but you can have ribbons, my toy horse. She's my favorite, Daddy, the little girl said to her father. Well, that's okay, her father said and brushed her cheek again with a kiss. Little one, sweet dreams. Several days later, when the little girl's father came in to read her story, she was sitting on her bed, and her lip was trembling. Here, Daddy, she said and held out her hands. She opened it, and her beloved pearls were inside. She let it slip into her father's hand. With one hand, her father held the plastic pearls, and with the other, he pulled out of his pocket a blue velvet box. And inside the box were real, genuine, beautiful pearls. He had them all along. He was waiting for her to give up the cheap stuff so he could give her the real thing. So it is with our Heavenly Father. He is waiting for us to give up the cheap things in our lives so that he can give us beautiful treasures. Again, we encourage you to head over to our website or the description of this video. We do have a link there with some memorable moments from the NOIC. Also encourage you to share today's podcast so that others can be encouraged and invigorated as well. And so thanks so much for joining us today. Until next time, continue on in Christ.